Chapter 3 Healing Yesterday I was in the water for close to an hour and a half, closest to heaven I seemed to be able to get. For years now it is where I have found home, found freedom, comfort, connection. It is the only place my body is really free of pain, which I am sure is a variable that contributes to my joy. After the leg break, my focus on healing really began. What true healing of body, heart, and mind entails. Though I have had numerous injuries and illnesses since, some would say more than my share, my spirit, my soul, is more at peace, on track, let's say, than ever before. In sum, I feel as ready as I can be to be with whatever comes not trying to outrun or defend against it or live in fear of it. If I listed my illnesses, viruses, tumors, and undiagnosable hospitalizations like global transient amnesia, you could laugh or perhaps cry with me. But why, I might then say, everybody has something. And truly, the way I look at it None of it has taken me out. Had I not aligned my daily life with spirit, had I not watered my soul, I feel I would have been long gone by now. Every woman in my family but my sister had the big C or suicide before 60. And this year, I'll be 70, and I'm still swimming across this bay. I woke this morning from a strong dream, which at first seemed a bit odd, out of the blue, unrelated. And yet I knew, as with all dreams, to look again. I was leading something with Roshi Joan at her Buddhist center. Something came over me or over my eyes. My vision became different, obscured. Joan suggested I call this doctor, which I did. And he was young, married with a small child, and in Australia, of all places. Without hesitation, he took my call. I remember someone saying, well, he was just too young, too inexperienced to know what was happening, to really be of any assistance to me. But I said, no, no, it's okay, I'll speak with him, because I see within him the seed of awareness and understanding. And so I did, and I told him my story of the pituitary tumor, which I had first discovered through the loss of my eyesight. That diagnosis in 2000 had led me on a nine-month journey of holistic treatments and ceremonies. The doctors wanted me to have surgery immediately, also telling me, warning me, that it could grow back. I just didn't want to live in fear of that. I wanted to do all I could to heal the cause, if there even was one, to tend to the health of all of me. I realized, too, I was more frightened given my history of Western doctors and leg breaks and all than even partial loss of eyesight. And still, the continuing threat of being blind was very real. 
Maybe I was not so free of the fear of being dependent. In hopes and prayer that the tumor would disappear, I continued to say no to surgery. In this time, I traveled through my layers of self, and it served me well. In the end, I decided to say yes to marriage for the first time at age 54. That for sure was a threshold to cross. And I also decided to have surgery after much research with a most controversial, progressive, Iranian neurosurgeon. Somehow, I found the courage to face burgeoning fears, to face the one that I was damaged goods making it hard to live in this body, and that being so, it was harder to commit to live with another, to risk sharing my pain as it came and went, to risk being dependent, to risk such vulnerability. Somehow I found the courage to say yes, to trust again, to trust doctors, men, myself. I say somehow, And some of the how that I lived those nine months was with gratitude to my many beloveds, to my sacred marriage partner, Wynne, to the ceremonies, to nature, to the healing that comes with turning into the skid. As well, I acknowledge and am grateful again for the privilege I had to travel, to be with healers in healing places to take the time to research different doctors and different procedures, something not many with the same diagnosis would have had. And with that privilege, I can only seek to continue to pay it forward, to support others with such a diagnosis or with such fears, to support the doctor who was taken to task by the AMA and asked for my testimony along with others. Today, the less invasive kind of surgery he performed is now common versus threatening and controversial to the old neurosurgeon establishment. And today, I have my full eyesight regained and no regrowth nearly 20 years later. Brain surgery right in the middle of the forehead is for sure a strange way to open the third eye. For sure is a dramatic way to be pressed to use another way of seeing into what is needed. It for sure was not the year sabbatical I had been working towards and envisioning with Wynne. And who knows as the riddle goes, good luck, bad luck. My view is that such a brain tumor is a rather big name for a wart on the pituitary and actually was a wake-up to tend to many other things as well that truly needed my attention. As in the dream last night, a change in how I see has been needed more than once. And so now, yes, I look again at where my fears lie hidden where my reaction is brewing underneath, perhaps, to the storm that we are in, to the melting glaciers, the escalating suffering, where I and so many continue to live calmly on one hand, 
while in some kind of simultaneous shock on the other. I look again at the young family doctor with child in my dream down under as the guidance I turn to. The more beautiful world I dream is still calling me. I look again and see the seeds of awareness in this next generation, the children. And as I call them in the dream, trust that they will listen and respond, that they will know and share more about how my and our seeing is changing and needs to change. Yesterday, we traveled to another harbor on the island of Sifno Still and looked at places to stay. It seemed we were welcomed by everyone we met, not because we are special or American, just because this is the way of so many Greeks here. Sometimes in the most touristic places, they're understandably trying to lure visiting people to buy food, pottery, or even villas. Yet, that's not so much the feeling on this island. Maybe that's why we want to stay. We love Margarita, our host, where we are now, and we can walk anywhere and everywhere. My best way of traveling. And more importantly, even, I can swim for miles. Okay, maybe more like a mile each day across the bay. So the farthest we're considering traveling with the two weeks we have left is 15K away from where we are now. There seemed a number of simple places to rent, especially as most leave here and close up at the end of September. We'll be amongst a few foreigners remaining. The place that looked to be the best view was named Agape. I turned into the gate to see if anyone was home. There were a few balconies filled with people anticipating the evening sunset. And then the shouting began. A large woman, seemingly intoxicated, standing over a more slightly built man who was seated. I stopped and took a breath, sending a little bit of love ahead. She continued, and her anger escalated, hitting him on his head and face. It was, it was quite something that other than cover himself, he barely reacted. They both saw me as I stood with as much presence and love as I could muster. And she just went on, continuing to hit now with fists and then in spurts stepping back. With no reaction other than quiet defense from him, they continued, she yelling now, him speaking in a somewhat calmer tone. She then leaned over and bit him on his face. I walked a bit closer. A well-built tan man came out of the apartment next door and walked towards me with his boat paddle in hand, clearly headed for a sunset paddleboard. I stopped him and asked, Excuse me, do you speak English? Yes. And so I described to him what had been going on that he just walked by. And I said it was not okay. 
and that in my experience, it actually could escalate and get even worse. He agreed to walk with me up to the porch. The couple, if that was their relationship, continued the fight. It now had been at least 15 to 20 minutes that I had been standing as a witness. As I stood in front of the deck, she stopped and backed off her attack, and my French translator began, Are you okay? This is not okay. We feel we need you to stop or to at least get some help. No, no, he says. Everything is okay. Really? It doesn't look to be. She says, No, nothing is okay. He needs help. Through some back and forth, she finally sits down. I ask them, please, to stop, to take some moments, etc., etc., etc. More could be said, but this is enough for the story to serve for now as a gateway to being with conflict, with violence, wherever and whenever we meet it. After a year of the Me Too movement, and a lifetime of being a woman feeling the threat of violence from men. Here I was witnessing a reverse situation. She was clearly the aggressor, as well as clearly the bigger, if not stronger, of the twosome. Without knowing what the issue or injustice might have been, the man was the victim of physical and verbal abuse in that moment. And I know quite well from being with my husband's stories, as well as other men, that this is not an isolated incident. What if we had not come along? What if there had been a gun on sight? It could have very easily gone there. I know this fury inside of myself. It can come up and out like a flash fire. Rarely for sure, thank God, but just enough to cause serious harm. Harm to myself or to win or someone perhaps I don't even know. It's taken a lot of personal work and practice over the years to have faith in my ability to be with such rage. I have been humbled more than once by my own actions and reactions. And so the compassion rises for others, for those who have no help, no support, no understanding, no pathways to be with the energy, alcohol and drugs adding fuel to the flame. Bottom line, I don't know how to call for or envision an end to the larger wars if these ways of how to be with rage, energy, and wounds are passed on for eons, are not tended, taught, healed, shared, learned from. The next day I woke from a dream with these words. Be careful about proceeding before you have an image, a picture, a prayer, an intention, something gifted 
from another reality rather than the one you hope to change. My noticing, bearing witness to conflicts, to dissonance and sometimes violence, came at an early age. I remember growing up actually watching as many World War II movies as I could, Purple Heart, Bridge Over the River Kwai, and still today, when I'm amongst so many Germans and hear the accent, any slight aggression in the tone, I have a visceral physical reaction. I remember two young Dutch women who came to stay with us for a year to help out my mom and all of us with our young brother and basic living my mom just did not seem up for or capable of. I never quite knew which. Or maybe it was a class thing. Quote, having help is what upscaling families in the Connecticut suburbs of New York City were actually expected to do. Joyce and Lydia came. We bonded quickly. I remember, though I was maybe only 12 at the time, Joyce coming home with a black eye. Her date had been a local cop. Her biggest fear, it became quickly apparent, was that someone else would see it. And I sat with her attempts to cover it up with makeup, tears running down her cheeks all too quickly smearing the compact powder. Joyce was beautiful by any standards I knew, and sexy on top of that. Eros was oozing, one might say, and a low-cut blouse, wild reddish hair added to her appearance and her attraction. In other words, she certainly did not look like a stereotypical Connecticut housewife, much less a maid or help. This led pretty quickly to the classic story in these times. She probably deserved what she got. That was the line I remember so much hearing. Especially as it was a cop. They were the good guys. Anyone of color. Next, anyone who was any way different than the white bread families would attract attention, if not trouble. It was only a few years later that I had my first family experience of being so-called othered. I had felt pretty integrated, if that is a feeling possible, in my convent school years. There were within 75 of us, 15 nuns, some LGBTQ, not clearly out or safe yet by any means, but definitely visible. They were clearly and gratefully different to some of us athletes in particular. There was our West African math teacher, who many of us had a crush on, and there were four Cuban students exiled from their country within our class of 20. My roommate and best friend, Bonnie DeSisti, was of Italian ancestry and far from the blue bloodlines of New England. Color, race, gender, ancestry, class, was something never discussed. And kissing a boy goodnight, a Jewish boy that I picked nonetheless at the one school dance a year, resulted in me being campused for two weeks. 
We, after all, were all Catholics. That was our heritage, our common ground, our tribe. But what stands out most is my sister's boyfriend and fiancé. He was, I learned, Jewish. And even though none of us were identifiable as people of color, I soon discovered that people were clearly making distinctions daily. His family and my family met in the library of our house, the room where all serious conversations took place. Barbara came out of the room in tears, and I knew that did not bode well. Though I was not there to witness in person, the report was that Mark could not marry into our family. We were Catholic, and they were Jewish. Somehow at age 14, I tried to reconcile with this inconceivable loss, for I too loved Mark. He was already a mentor for me, helping me address my low SAT scores and my fear of not being accepted at college. I then began my quiet research around Jews. Why would they not want us in their family? Who they were, where they were from, and why they rejected us. My surprise and horror was to discover the Holocaust story, not then part of my World War II movie experience. These experiences began to fill in more of the picture that I had been questioning since the early ones of the place of black people in our family, our neighborhood, our culture, and our country. I remember discovering slavery through conversation more than through school history lessons. It just wasn't in the books. I remember meeting Tina's ancestor, a hundred years plus old and sitting listening to her story as a slave. From what I could tell, it was not only whiteness that was at the root of othering or domination. There was trauma from childhood everywhere, as well as a class war going on that had roots a very long way back into history. Colonization, oppression, Slavery and tribal warfare, it seems, again learned mostly from stories, was in my ancestral homelands of Ireland long before it was an Irish nation or had an Irish language. Over the next years, learning of conflicts such as these led me to where I thought the biggest problems were, the Soviet Union the Middle East, South Africa. Only before long, I knew I had to return to my own backyard. One did not have to travel to a checkpoint in Gaza to see violence at border control. If I looked close enough, it existed 20 minutes away from where we lived, between the cops and the predominantly black population. An attempted strike in Norwalk, Connecticut, led to a meltdown and what was being named a riot. An hour away in Harlem, a place we were clearly forbidden to go, violence was daily reported. 
I remember my dad saying, he just, he just did not understand the blacks. They needed to be educated. They had so much to be thankful for. This week, 55 years later, I witnessed the story of descendants of slavery learning to dive deep underwater into the Atlantic on the journey to find and honor their ancestors. Over a thousand slave trade ships sank. Only now, thanks to the courage of black scuba divers, do many of us whites as well begin to touch the depth of our true history. Healing from ignorance. Healing from such cruelty as the slave trade seems an unimaginable task. Relations with BIPOC peoples has grown me. Deep exploration of original disconnection and abuse when born, when a child, has educated me. I have sat with young Lakota teens, walking the trail of tears, reclaiming the bones of their ancestors there slaughtered. I have been grateful to be more than once with Issei Barnwell, African-American vocalist and builder of community through song, learning through the music over weeks the history of brutality, power, love, and courage. I have worked in councils with Palestinians and Jews, fundamentalist Christians and pagans, communists and capitalists. And that all seems the tip of an iceberg. The pain, the trauma we know gets passed on through generations. The stories told to the children, the stories in modern day that are maybe less visible and seem still to continue. The percentages of black men in prison, gun violence on the rise between women and men, cops and blacks, terror and torture in Syria, masses of strangers targeted in what is today called terror. And still, there is healing possible. I've seen it, I've felt it, and I live for it. The waters are rising as well, not only in the Pacific, but right here up to my door in Greece. Is anyone unaffected? What does it take to turn the climate around? I mean, if we won't respond to the violence within our own family, our own communities, our own country, amongst peoples, how will we respond to the violence to this water planet, which our human ways of living are perpetuating? On the streets, with our most progressive leaders and communities, I hear the cry for system change. Quote, doing my best, but as one individual, growing food, building and living into community, sharing resources, protesting, voting or campaigning for any or all good movements. To be honest, 
It seems a pathetic response. What kind of morphogenetic field, a la Rupert Sheldrake? What kind of healing biotope geist, a la Dieter Doom, would it take to move into a new story? With Charles Eisenstein and so many others calling for such. Is it really one by one listening with compassion or even in a group? I can't help but notice how there are actually many white men, intelligent and compassionate, still leading the charge for change. At least they have not totally disappeared, as more and more people of culture and color are at last recognized and supported in taking lead. As white people, we get to use any access and credibility perhaps we still have when not as easily lumped into the minority as disgruntled complainers. It is becoming more and more clear that the fear of losing power, of losing white-dominated America, is escalating. From where I walk, stand, listen, participate, the revolution is on. Though I don't yet have that picture fully of what is possible, the one hopefully to be gifted from a different reality, I am in the river of change. I need not fix things or even secure my position. I have a willingness to change, to move, thanks to my migratory species bones. Where? How? What is mine to do? I do live this question every day. No answers, but to be part of such alliances is defend the sacred, beyond boundaries, youth passageways, to work with and through prayer and action. We will see. I hope we will see. Through acknowledging more and more the history that has been, the violence that has ensued, we will become more current. In so doing, I have found there comes room for dreams for next steps. If that can happen for me as but one, then what is possible for many, for others? I envision an archipelago, connected islands of healthier cells. Perhaps guidance, pictures of different realities will emerge and be our beacons. Yes, I am here to back up the next generation. Yes, I can help put pressure on, stand up, say no, not okay, to anyone, anywhere, as the violence continues in me, in my backyard, in and with my investments, money, time, and energy. I remember it was not all that long ago standing with four other people during the Occupy movement on Christmas Day in the conservative town of Bishop, California. I'm glad to have more to stand with now, and I'm grateful to have Indigenous people to be guides, to walk with. I'm blessed to know and be connected to some of the projects and peoples emerging with global majority leaders. 
people of culture, people of color. And I am mostly happy to have lived long enough to see Greta and Takata actually meet and to walk with other youngers as part of the Extinction Rebellion and Fridays for the Future. There can be less room for despair as long as I can find the next step of what to do, what to pray, and where to be. There's always room for more integrity, healing, and awareness in my own heart, mind. Thank God. As otherwise, I'd be gone. I'm grateful to have and to be working with white people of wealth, as well as those who have few resources and still much of the privilege. As the Pacific Island grandmothers confirmed with me years ago, quote, thank you, she said, for walking with your own people and not coming to help us. Fortunately, I have also a growing cross-cultural, intergenerational tribe in service to healing, truth, and love, a picture for now that keeps me going and keeps me dreaming.